We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Entering the Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 Week 8 Fantasy Football Rankings Breakdown by Position Stardom, Sidham, the debate. We got it all for you. Hit the description if you want to jump to any particular position. If you're looking for the rankings list, they are also down in the description. Remember to smash the like button to the episode. And please subscribe to Mayo Media Network on YouTube. We're still in the push for 30,000 subs. I thought we'd be there by now, but apparently October hits and it's like, woo, we flatline in terms of new subs. We need to get up to 30K. Let's go, okay? Thank you very much if you haven't done it. And thank you already if you have already done it. The Listener's League link for DraftKings is now live didn't fill by 18 people last week they threatened to make it smaller i said no give us another week so reserve your spot right now 15 dollars to play three max entry no rake thus making it the best tournament on DraftKings link in the description. Shockingly enough, as is the newsletter link, where if you want to get the spread pick show early on a Tuesday night, plus all of the other game info and research for the week, go subscribe to that right now. Jake Seaway from TheAthletic.com is on the line, as he is every single Tuesday afternoon. What's happening, my man? What's going on? Uh, yeah, I almost did your show in my ho- or I had my Halloween costume for my show. It was Gizmo Duck from DuckTales, but I couldn't do another hour of trying to look through that mask. So sorry, you don't get to see it. Well, that's tough. I mean, is this is this how I guess this would be Halloween week, wouldn't it? I didn't even think about that. I had planned everything for yeah, next it's Sunday. Week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that really throws a wrench you, into if, my plans. It does, because if you do anything Monday or Tuesday, it's late. Yeah, it's just weird at that point. Huh. Well, now I don't know what to do. I have another show to film later today. I don't have a costume. I have to wear one of my kids' costumes. I got them like a dragon costume that doesn't fit them. Maybe it can fit me. I don't know. It looks really weird. Probably too shiny with the lights. Uh, that was part of the reason, too, is like it wasn't actually that shiny. It's whoever made this mask, it was just like blurry to see. Through. Like, why would you make the plastic blurry if kids are trying to? Well, I joked about it during the show. It's like kids are going to be walking into cars and stuff. Like, you're not going to see the candy that gets put in the bag. And when I took it off, it was like going from an old school, like, 
like the tube television to 4k like i can see clearly now it's no better than when we were kids and they had that like superman mask or all the other masks that had like the little slits for the nose and then they would get really sweaty because it was too tight and they had that like <laughs> elastic that was way too tight around your back and it would cut in oh behind the, keep behind talking i'll bring it back hold on no just keep talking i'll go get it I suppose I'll continue. Jake apparently has kept all of these throughout eternity. If there's one thing that Jake doesn't mind at all, it's that having a mask that's way too tight on his sweaty nose. Despite the fact that it's cold. Look, the little elastic in the back to hold it. See? A little that. Look, I'll even show you how it was. Although I have my hat on, so it'll be kind of tough. But it was like this. I mean, you could double double that. This is blurry. Yeah, but you could double that as like a 1987 like ski goggles mask because that's kind of what it looks like. <laughs> if you made it like a bit yeah, brighter orange where like the, the glasses, you'd be good to look, go. See how it blurs my face? Oh, I forgot about those. I actually had a pair of those ski goggles when I used to snowboard. And I, why would you make it that blurry? Like yeah. it's so freaking blurry. Now you need the thing that I used to use on my hockey mask when I was growing up. You just put the spray on, you wipe it off. It doesn't fog. Everything's clean. And then you would be good to go. Running backs for week eight at the very top, Derrick Henry. No surprise, he's playing, uh, and he's Derrick Henry with everything that he is doing right now. So he is number one, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, who is expected to return this week. No Kareem Hunt, Daryl Henderson, and James Robinson inside the top ten. You said you had a problem with one of the rankings. I'm guessing it's Alvin Kamara at number 11. Uh, It wasn't actually even the running back position, but Uh yes, I would have. I, I would have Kamara higher mm, for two reasons. Uh, look, Tampa Bay is still top 10 against the run. They aren't what they were last year. Uh, we also just saw what Cleo Herbert in that mess of the Bears offense. And granted, the Bears offensive line is pretty good, but so is the New Orleans offensive line. And if we're going to get any kind of repeat, and I don't expect it to be that level. I don't expect Elvin Kamara to be the leader in targets, yards, and receptions receiving. But the Saints, Sean Payton, clearly woke up and said, hey, let's stop not using Kamara in the passing game. That's really what it comes down to. It's just a volume standpoint. I, I wouldn't sit here and say Kamara should be number two behind Henry uh, because it is still Tampa Bay. But he's game script independent, whether it's a slog fest of a game like we just saw or where they're, you know, they're getting blown out or whether they're winning because Kamara is their only legitimate weapon at this point with everybody that's also hurt in that backfield between now is Zigbo's the backup, like Dwayne Washington even get involved that much time. Montgomery was seeing some time at running back because they got Traquan Smith back. It's just, it's Kamara and nobody else. So I'd probably stop at Swift, putting him over Swift, uh, mostly because I love what we just saw about Swift. You and I talked about it last week's, and I had hesitancy about Swift because all of his production was coming in the fourth quarter. And that's another situation. They finally woke up and said, hey, maybe we used DeAndre Swift in the first three quarters. And they did right out of the gate. If you told me that was going to guarantee go forward with, then I would say just keep DeAndre Swift right there. But for this week, I'd still play Camaro over Swift. We're nitpicking RB1s, but that's the yeah, I do have quite a few spots I'd move Camaro up. I just feel like we're now just banking on that he needs to do everything through the receiving game because even against Seattle, it's not like he got he had a ton of rushes for absolutely nothing. That didn't really turn out well for him, but it was all due to the receiving game and breaking the one big one, and that's really hard to bank on. And then you have uh, Andres, don't call me Amanda. Pete looks like he tore his bicep or peck or something like that so he's going to be out so that's a downgrade to the offensive line and i think tampa's smart enough to know it's like oh we have one thing in this game that we have to do stop elvin kamara and we're going to win by 500 points because they can't do anything else 
It should be, but we're also talking about even before this game, you said it has to do it in the passing game, and I don't necessarily agree with that because he just had three games in a row before this game where he had 120 total yards, uh, 70, 70 of them coming in one game rushing, I think close to 100 of them coming rushing one game in another game where it's more balanced. I think it was like 70 receiving, but it's three games in a row of 120 yards because he is, and yes, we say that all the time, that teams are smart enough and teams are going to go out there, and this the Bilicek, and that's why I say the whole Bilicek is uh, – it's confirmation bias with Belichick is everybody's like, oh, he always takes away the best weapons. Not that 31 other teams don't try to do the exact same thing and don't try to take away a team's best weapon. But if you're going to give me 20 plus touches of Camara, that's just all it comes down to. I just don't know that Swift is guaranteed to see 20 again. So I don't disagree with anything you said. I would just go Camara over all those five guys, six guys, technically five, six guys in front of him. I think I like having him hang out at number 11 for the moment. I just do worry about the potential upside for him in this game with Tampa, that everything that you've talked about just seems like what he has to do to get to his like median floor when it comes down to it. I'll run the Sims, and you can go to runthesims.com, and you can use code RTS there right now on the monthly membership to get 25% off and run the slate 10,000 times, and you can adjust your own projections. I want to see what he comes out as in my second run because he was pretty low in my first one around, and I manually put him up inside my rankings it's not like i'm gonna hmm. bench elvin kamara because everyone knows that's how i do my rankings it's when i start this guy <laughs> over this guy it's not a projections list you can get those anywhere when you need bad advice in terms of who i would play you come to my rankings that's what we do so i got kamara at number 11 mixon and then aaron jones cordero patterson daryl williams leonard fournette khalil herbert elijah mitchell Devonte booker and damian harris i think that after kamara you have this like mixon Aaron Jones and hell Cordero Patterson's zone Daryl Williams Leonard Fournette I guess you could throw Herbert and Elijah Mitchell and Booker into that mix too is they're all essential I don't Harris isn't a full-time guy though is the thing I do close enough I do think he's pretty game script dependent that if they get down in this game against the Chargers in a game where they are not favored we're just gonna see a lot more Brandon Bolden like we've we've been seeing in these games I don't think it's enough to take him out of this conversation because Damian Harris is used in the passing game and he, you know, he doesn't completely lose all of it. It's not, it's not a James Conner, Chase Edmonds situation split. Like they almost have separate roles completely. Uh, even you could look up and I'm trying to think, I'm looking at anybody in front of him on this list that might be in a similar situation where you say, okay, if it's purely passing, it's just the other guy instead. You'd have to go further down. You'd have to go into more like the Zach Moss, Devin Singletary situation. Although that kind of went sideways in their, that game before the bye week anyway, because Singletary was just out there to start. Um, but all that being said, is Damian Harris is used in the passing game. This is something we talked about in the preseason is the fact that he has three down ability. And this is something that, you know, Belichick hasn't had for many years. You have to go back to like Latavius Murray, Corey Dillon, Robert Edwards days for that. But he has used somebody in that fashion before. Obviously that 50 to <laughs> terrible slaughtering game. You can't take too much out of it for Bolden and JJ Taylor. And here's the thing. And I mentioned this on my show, Pat, is I would be concerned about Stevenson if you had him, but I would also not be shocked if Stevenson came out and was all of a sudden the number two again this week for two reasons, not only is it Belichick, but I keep referencing the podcast I did with D'Angelo Williams, where he brought up and said, when you go through practices, this is something that you don't know unless you're a player. And this is why his opinion in this is more important than ours is he said, things happen during the week in practice. And sometimes, especially at running back, and especially if you're a rookie running back and you miss plays and you miss assignments and you miss a pass block and you just 
screw up two or three times in one day. You know, it happens to everybody, but especially at running back and especially for rookies, you get benched. Like sometimes the coach sends you a message and says, you're out this week, or, you know, you fall down the depth chart for one week. You got to get your crap together. So I say that to say this, I don't think we're definitively in the situation where we can say 100% Brandon Bolden is now James White. Uh, I would bet on it, but I would have to get plus money to use the betting lingo. I don't, I don't think it would be a shock. So I would have Damian Harris higher also because the Chargers are one of the most favorable running back matchups. I, I know that you said it could get out of hand, and I don't disagree with that, but I would definitely play him over Devontae Booker. You talk about a game that could get out of hand. We just saw what happened to Booker two weeks ago. And I'd probably play him over Herbert, but I would go Mitchell over Herbert too. Uh, I just like where Herbert's coming in right now. I was really surprised I that, do he too. that he continued to touch the ball as often against the Bucks with Damian Williams. Here's my one hesitant. Sorry. What is it? I know you hate to be cut off. Sorry. I was just, uh, sorry. I, I hate. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's, it's okay. Anyway, it already happened. I'm not sure that Damian Williams just wasn't 100% coming back from COVID. And I, I'm not saying that he's going to take the lead. I just, I, and again, it's just pure speculation. I have no reports. This is just me sitting here as like, I, again, similar to the Patriots situation, I love, I 100% agree with you and everybody. I love what we're seeing from Herbert. I was one of the biggest Herbert fans in my draft profile when coming out of college. That being said, I don't know that that one game tells us Damian Williams is officially out of the equation. Is That's all I'm saying. Sure. I'm going to try to bank on Herbert still being the guy for the Bears right now. And the thing with Harris okay. is, like, yes, he's involved in the receiving game, kind of. He's averaging fewer than two catches a game. It's like 1.5. And someone like Devontae Booker is averaging three catches a game over the past three since he's become the starter. And he's touching the ball, like, guaranteed 17, 18 times a game. Hey, hey again. Not wrong. Uh, this is a close knit group, and I, when I run my projections and do my rankings, I guarantee that you mentioned Aaron Jones. I think starting at probably Cordell Patterson all the way, even into the Chuba Hubbard range. So that's what fourteen to twenty four. I'm probably expecting a point and a half, two points difference in projections. So this is just how tight this group gets. It's similar to wide receiver threes. I am pretty ecstatic that the Packers are playing on Thursday night and not on Sunday because I would be the guy looking at the board on Sunday with Aaron Jones as one of the most expensive running backs on draftings and being like, well, no one's playing him. I'll play Aaron Jones. It's going to be the four touchdown game. Then I'll have like two points. Like <laughs> theoretically, this should be a great spot for him. We're, I, the rankings are acting like there is no Devonte Adams this week. Although, as we record this, he has not officially been ruled out on the COVID list. He is very unlikely to play at this point, though. That's why he is not in the rankings. So, with someone like Aaron Jones, like, could he be more involved in the receiving game? Yeah, absolutely. Could he not? Sure. I, I, I have such a bad vibe about their backfield that I. Just, it's worse than it was last year because at least last year, if Aaron Jones didn't have a big game, like AJ Dillon was really good. Now it's just like they can both be bad. I don't know what's going on. And this is why I have zero Aaron Jones and why everybody told me I hated Aaron Jones. I, I love Aaron Jones on a per touch basis. I don't like Aaron Jones on the Packers. You switch roles and put Aaron Jones on half the other teams in the NFL. And I would consistently have him as a top 10 running back and potentially a top five. The funny thing is you mentioned he's already hit a career high in receiving touchdowns. He's always been touchdown reliant he ran for 11 around 1100 yards each of the past two seasons it's the touchdowns that carried him to a top five finish on top of the fact you also have the attrition of running backs that fell out due to injury so you know most years if everybody stayed healthy which that never happens i'm not saying that's ever going to happen but everybody stayed healthy he probably still finishes his rb 9 10 11 somewhere around there look at the points per game and it's touchdown reliant i 
drew this comparison and people told me I was stupid, but I said he's essentially the good Will Fuller of running backs. You might get the three touchdown game that you're talking about and you might get six points. That's just what you, you just do that. If you invested in Aaron Jones, you had to know that's what you were getting, especially with AJ Dillon this year. I agree. It should be a smash spot. And Arizona is even more favorable at times against the run, especially after the contact. They're a great team to run on. And if you look at Aaron Jones in this game with no Devontae Adams, it should be. And he's already being used in the passing game. Um, but yeah, there is the hesitancy of it could just be. He's got, I'm looking, like he's got a lower floor than Cordero Patterson behind him. He's got a lower floor than Leonard Fournette, unless Bruce Arians, after what, seven weeks of trusting Leonard Fournette, all of a sudden goes, throws us a curveball. He honestly probably has a lower floor than Khalil Herbert at this point. But you play Aaron Jones because he can also score 40 points. Yeah, his range of outcomes is just so much across the board, but that high end is the super high end. I actually took the baseline projections from Run the Sims and just ran them for this slate 10,000 times while we were talking to look at who the highest projected running back of the week is. Do you know who it is by three points? Aaron Jones? No, it's uh, Aaron Jones? it's Elvin Kamara. <laughs> oh, so there you go. Do you, you know he's actually number one this year? He's actually over Derrick Henry, as great as Derrick in half-point PPR. Really? That doesn't sound right. The, I just I checked no, just God, because you're, I was you're, pl- you're is, fake is, you're fake news. Am I? I think so. I, I feel like he has coming one, in, coming one fewer the, game. Yeah, but coming into the oh, no, game, you're, I, no, you're right. Derrick Henry had it was like you're outscoring right. every yeah. other running back by like sixty he points. At one point. No, no, no. I was gonna say this is what happened. The site that I pulled up defaulted to 2020 for some reason. I don't know why. I didn't see the I didn't see the date at the top. Yeah, it is. He's actually four. So there yeah. you go. I mean, crushing my preseason rank of Elvin Kamara. I guess I had him at number five. I think. No, I had him at number four. Did you? I had no. I went McCaffrey, Cook, Barkley, Henry. Cook. No, I had Barkley like number eleven. I I wasn't drafting. Oh, did you? Yeah. So I okay. had, I had McCaffrey, great pick. Uh, McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Kamara. So yeah, getting close. Too bad CMC. I I- CMC will come back and still be the per game leader for the season once we look it back. But he'll only have played like five games. It'll be great. I don't know. He's got to get his 24.5. What does CMC have right now? Through, Prob- even probably. through his game. Well, he had the, he had the injury. So that, that one's really going to hurt him, but I feel like that's up where he was around. He was at, no, he was at 22.7 yeah, in but, the two games before getting hurt. So he's still that, but I'm saying that's, that's still almost two points behind Henry. Yeah. McCaffrey will be good to get that back. Anyway, let's get to the rest <laughs> of the rankings. You're probably, you're probably playing all of these guys inside the top right. 20. I actually think like when I say the cutoff, I think that Harris is different than Booker by a little hair. I think that Harris has more in common with the next guys down this list, whether it be Connor and Edmonds, who I have at 21 and 22, Antonio Gibson, Chuba Hubbard, Alex Collins at number 25 was not a good game, obviously on Monday night, but he is the guy in that backfield, even with Rashad Penny coming back. And now they get Jacksonville. That's much easier. So the first one is, the waiver wire pickup of the week, Kenneth Gainwell. I have a number 26. Like, I I don't even know if he's going to have more fantasy points than Boston Scott. So how high can Boom. I really rank the guy? There you go. And honestly, unless Jordan Howard gets activated, I would start Boston Scott over Kenneth Gainwell because here's the issue. Uh, Chris and I actually talked about it on the show. Hey, Chris is the Eagles guy, and he knows it. And he's not saying anything anybody who follows this team doesn't know. But Kenneth, Gen- Kenneth Gangwell hasn't seen the field as much as he should in the passing game this year. And why you're seeing Miles Sanders on some of those, because he's abysmal in pass blocking. Like, it's not even just getting blown up by linebackers and defensive ends and all that. It's the fact he's not even in the right place at the right time. Like, you're missing assignments weekly missing assignments. Uh, if they had better options, this would go back to my whole thing with D'Angelo's. 
They might have just like benched him for a game at this point. He is just, they do not trust him. And for good reason, he looks awful. It's essentially Tyson Williams situation. You can look explosive. You can look great on your per plays. The difference is the Ravens said, screw it. You're being benched because we have other options. The Eagles really have it. So I would start Boston Scott over him because Boston Scott is the goal line runner. And he's also the lead runner. And he's also down on passing downs. And I'm not saying the split's going to be 70-30. But Boston Scott is the lead, as weird as it sounds, because you look at Boston Scott and you look at his talent, you look at his play and you say, oh, Boston Scott's a nice complimentary piece as a 40% of a 60-40 split. But in this situation, I actually think Boston Scott is the 60-40 split. He's on the 60 side with Gainwell because the Eagles rightfully so don't trust Gainwell. Now, can Gainwell turn his plays into more? Arguably, sure. Uh, But I I would go Scott over Gainwell, although I would not like to really start either one of them i'm going down your ranks and even though gaskin's facing buffalo the malcolm brown injury would make me trust gaskin over both of them and i think that's right i I would almost go gaskin and then scott gainwell bolden if it was my rankings well if i'm gonna boost scott up above bolden i think i'm gonna put gainwell one spot behind bolden then instead of having them completely back to back i'll go scott uh, one spot ahead of Brandon Bolden at number 30. That'll make him number 31 now. And that will make Kenneth Gainwell number 33 is the way that I want to play it. Because I'm with you on Miles Gaskin. I think that he has a decent floor in this game because of the receiving. Uh, with no Malcolm Brown being around, maybe they end up turning to Salvan Ahmed a little bit more. Maybe Patrick, our Laird and Savior, ends up getting back <laughs> involved again. But it just seems like in these games where they're behind in... Gaskin's going to be on the field. It's going to be dump off city, especially with how bad the Dolphins offensive line and how good the pass rush has been for the Bills so far. That just it feels like Jalen Waddle short passes, Miles Gaskin short passes and not a lot of points for the Dolphins. So I don't really know. He'd have to break one in order to turn out a really good game. But at the same time, his floor is stabilized a little bit. And you went on J.D. McKissick being like, would you start J.D. McKissick over Antonio Gibson at this point? Because I wouldn't yet, but it's, it's getting there. It's getting close. Hey, it was out snapped. It was there. Like I had JD McKissick in a DraftKings lineup last week because I was looking for the savings and plugged it in for the fact because each week, and I even say the good DraftKings play is because uh, I know we're talking seasonal, but to bring this into the conversation, the upside of McKissick for seasonal and DraftKings is similar. It's the fact of, look, you're getting a flex running back. And even though the snaps are different, Gibson out touches him. But we know any given week, there's a risk Gibson just leaves and never comes back in that game. And then that's the upside there because now Gibson's the guy. And if Gibson's getting 80% of a work, even if it's 80% only in the second half, now you're talking about McKissick potentially being top 20. So, you know, at 5,100, still a great play. And seasonal, still a great play in this range. And if you're talking about the fact that he's here with Melvin Gordon and Alex Collins and Zach Moss, his ceiling's just as high, but a different ceiling. His ceiling is high because of the touches potential, and their their up their upside is really baked into hopefully getting a touchdown. So, I, I'm with you again. I, I would not start him over Gibson yet, but I got to tell you, Washington loses this week, and that might even be the cutoff point. It might take one more game after that. I wouldn't be surprised if they shut Gibson down. Inside injuries keep saying the only way to heal this injury is you need to rest. You cannot play through this kind of injury it's never going to heal and you could always make it a whole lot worse for yourself too then you actually have to deal with the ramifications of this going into next year which i'm sure that they don't want to do because this year an absolute write-off for the washington football team at this point does this mean you've picked up jared patterson where you need to yes 
Yes. Where I could. Yeah. Uh, anywhere I have a free roster spot, I'd pick him up. You know, we talk about backups all the time and something. I don't know. I don't know your feelings on it, but we talk about backups in a whole when drafting. But in season, a lot of times people are like, should I drop, you know, Carlos Hyde for Samaje P. Ryan? And I'm like, hey, you know, okay, P. Ryan looks a little bit better. But when you're talking backups for backups and like, yeah, one looks a little bit better on a better team, but it's kind of like, it's just really whoever gets hurt first. Uh, you know, Mike Davis is essentially a high end backup now at this point. Oh He's not. God. somebody like <laughs> yeah i know but that being said if cordell patterson got hurt i would like mike davis more than samaj p ryan even though p ryan's been better than mike davis has been so i say all that to say this is p ryan kind of is starting to creep up towards like not quite tony pollard because pollard has standalone value and not alexander and madison because we know madison can be an rb1 but he's kind of just right in that next group now where he's a priority next man up because the risk is so high that He's basically with Pirine and with Sony Michelle. The running backs in front of him are such an injury risk that those would be the ones I prioritized. Michael Carter, I have at number 27 right now against mm-hmm. the Bengals. I don't know the health status of Tevin Coleman. He is not in the rankings. He did not play in week number seven. Ty Johnson left the game in week seven, but I do have him in the rankings. If both those guys are out, Michael Carter could be kind of sneaky this week. I would probably bump him up to. Like, it wouldn't be that far. I'd probably go from, like, 27 to 25. Like, it'd be a coin flip between him and Chuba Hubbard at that point. Yeah, I think I would nah, I, I would go higher. I would it, 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 well, it depends on who's playing quarterback. If it's Magic Mike, I'd boost him way up because he's going to catch, like, 14 passes in the game. If it's Flacco. Uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Flacco loves – he has one of the highest percentage of throwing the running backs. Back when Philip Rivers, I remember pulling it up that year. Joe Flacco loves to throw the running backs. But Joe Flacco – who knows what Joe Flacco is like now versus even – was he playing for the Jets last yeah, my, year or the year before? <laughs> it was the year before. Like he knows the system, and if he can't throw anymore, I mean, he was never a huge A dot guy anyway. Well, but he's, yeah, he's, like he, he wouldn't necessarily know this system. It's a brand new coaching staff. No, no, but he's familiar. There's one of the coaches that he's familiar with and familiar with the style. What the heck is it? I know it's Salah, but there's somebody underneath Salah. Anyway, it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it is. There's a connection here where Joe Flacco could just step in and be very, he could easily start this week. And I mean, it's Mike White. If you could go for Joe Flacco and Joe Flacco is ready to pick up the playbook. All that being said, no, I'm saying this is I'm saying independent of the quarterback, whether it is Mike White or Joe Flacco, I would start Michael Carter over both Arizona running backs because you just said this is if Ty Johnson's out because he is going to be the guy. The problem right now is that Ty Johnson's actually more valuable than people want to treat him because he gets a good amount of passing game work in a weird way, which we don't normally see. He's the passing game option who also gets goal line carries. Now, Michael Carter is not that far behind him in goal line carries. Everybody just thinks it's only Ty Johnson because that's all they remember is that he's taking it away from Michael Carter. Michael Carter is getting his own share, but if you give that basically 80% of that backfield to Michael Carter, yeah, he needs to be at least 21. I'm you, To go back to your Damon Harris argument, I might even argue Michael Carter over Damon Harris because of that workload. It would be difficult to rank him above the Arizona guys because they play on Thursday, and we just won't have that information. Right, right. That I'd rather risk it with the Arizona guys before, unless, oh, it was, sure. unless it was very clear cut of what was going on in the Jets' backfield. So I, that's, where, that's why I said that's why I'd be hesitant to put him up there. So I'd probably move him up at least initially. Hey, you know, you're probably right. It would be like a coin flip with Damian Harris because Connor and Edmonds would both be off the board by the time we actually knew. that It's a situation to watch out for. If Chubb can't go, how high is Dearness hmm. Johnson? <laughs> how high is too high at, at Dearness Johnson? Is he top 10? I, mean, I think 
Or number 11. I, I, would, would he would Kamara go up one spot and Dearness Johnson would be number 11? 14. I know it's the Browns, but I still cannot start Dearness Johnson over Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, James Robinson. Those I just I cannot do it. It might be the right call. And, you know, uh, Dearness Johnson could easily replicate what he did last week because it is the Browns and it is, but it's also the Steelers this time. And I'm not saying the Steelers are, oh my God, run for the hills, the Buccaneers of last year when it comes to run defense. And there's actually been some games where they haven't looked good. It's been very inconsistent some weeks and maybe some of that hinges on the health of TJ Watt when he's been out there or not. But what it comes down to is just, it's Dearness Johnson, looks really good. Uh, Everybody wants to talk about, oh, he's so disrespected because of his 40 time, but still, you there's no way I how could you sit there and tell me he should start over Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon that's really what it comes down to yeah if you're looking right now at the top five run defenses in football it's the Saints Rams Steelers Colts and Bengals are the top five Seahawks sneakily number six against the run so far this season Uh, then you got the Browns Washington Miami and Denver it's really strange like Washington both run defense and in terms of pressure rate on the quarterback both really good. They just have absolutely no secondary. It's really bizarre. Yeah, and that's the weird part about it. It's like I think Washington's defense is one of the biggest surprises this year. Yeah, I mean, but they but, but argue- don't be surprised next year when they're like a top five unit again because they only need like one or two decent pieces and they're really good again. And that's the thing is we thought they were just as good with additional pieces from the draft and just you know getting people back healthy that they'd be. I even made I made the comparison to the Giants Super Bowl run and said when you can get that kind of front and that kind of pressure and your fifth option in the defensive line is better than some teams can even have as a starter, you don't need the best secondary in the world. But <laughs> at this point, you also need a secondary and a linebacking crew that looks like it could just play football and it hasn't yet this year. So, it, you know, your t- your statement honestly, is also a testament to fantasy defenses in general. Is this is how much changes from year to year, no matter what we think or what we know. Uh, so, yeah, I just also they played a little bit better last week. And I wouldn't say, you know, against Denver, you know, the run game. I see where you have the running backs ranked. And I think that's a fair spot, especially because that's I would rather attack them through the air. And I think they will do that, especially if Jerry Judy's back. Yeah, just looking at, we, we, I do have Jerry Judy ranked this week, but he's still a game-time decision right now. In terms of coverage so far this year, uh, the Lions are the worst, Washington is second worst, Jacksonville, Houston, Chicago, the Jets, the Seahawks, Steelers, Broncos, and Colts are your bottom 10 coverage defense. The Bills are actually the best uh, in coverage. Bills, Cardinals, Titans, Raiders, and Vikings. Raiders, sneaky good D. Did not see that one coming. Well, that's what we thought that they're the red. Oh, I almost said it. They're all, they're the Washington footballs. They are the team that is getting pressure after the quarterback and has enough pieces in the secondary and linebacking group to be able to play really good defense because they're getting that pressure and the guys behind them, the back seven or depending on the formation. But anyway, point being is they're playing well enough that it's creating a good overall defense. So it's basically what we expected Washington to be. Yeah. Vegas is number one in pass rush. Washington is number two, and you can see just the big discrepancy between those two defenses just because of the secondary right now. Um, last one, Bills running backs. Moss and Singletary, you brought it up that we were kind of rope dope the last time that we saw the Bills. Is my ranking of Zach Moss too low? Should he be a lot higher just thinking that they go back to him? No, because I would play Miles Gaskin over him and not even think twice about that. And that was this coming from somebody that yesterday morning, because the news wasn't out while I was doing the podcast with Meany, is that said, sell high on Gaskin. And then Malcolm Brown 
goes on IR just an hour later. This is the fun of doing live shows. Uh, but you know, hey, for everybody that's watching this show, that also watched that show up there in Canada. If you watched it last night, sorry, but that news wasn't out yet. Uh, it's the Zach Moss. Yes, this would be a game where we say, okay, we can trust Zach Moss again. But we also thought we were trusting Zach Moss in the game before the bye, which that game also looked like it should have been a Zach Moss game. And yet Singletary was out there the majority of the time early. Like Zach Moss wasn't even getting some of his work until the second half. So I don't think it's too high. I would start Gaskin definitively over him. And I, I, I don't here, know where here, my ranking... Here, here's why I would not start him over. I would play... I would chance that there was a rebound in this spot for Zach Moss and all of a sudden he becomes the lead again. And if he is the lead, even if it's like a 65-35 split, I'm just playing for touchdowns here. That I think that the, okay. t- the touchdown equity of Zach Moss in this game against the Dolphins versus Miles Gaskin on the other side is more valuable in my fantasy lineup. Although it's it's okay. it's ripe for two points. It's also ripe for like 25 points. Okay, well, and that's what happens for a lot of people that have to make decisions if you're talking about RB3s do you need the floor or the ceiling? So that's really what it comes down to. If you like your team and you just don't want to risk a two or potentially a zero, <laughs> Zach Moss just doesn't even barely get involved. Yeah. Then you play, then you play Gaskin. If you're going for your point. Yeah. You know, the, the the situation for both to hit their ceiling is more likely for Moss, although I don't think Gaskin's ceiling is that far from his because of what you talked about earlier when we were talking about Gaskin. If this game is out of hand and the Bills are up 24 to 3 in the second quarter and then all of a sudden Gaskin's walking to 10 targets, you know, that's the kind of upside. But if you you talk about running the simulations on run the sims if you ran a simulation 10,000 times, I think you're more likely to hit Moss's ceiling than you are Gaskin's ceiling. Let's try to find where is Zach Moss right now. Zach Moss, his medium projection. So if we just take the upside, the downside, and everything flat across the board, in half-point PPR, his medium projection is 12.1. Miles Gaskin, 12.2. So there you go. But I bet you you the distribution Can you run ceilings? uh, I can run the, yes, I can run ceilings. Just give me a second on that. Vibe with me for a second while I look this up. Um, <laughs> if people haven't signed up for prizepicks.com yet, I think that they should do that right now and use code MMN when you deposit. Uh, if you put in 100 bucks, they'll give you another 100 bucks. You'll have 200 bucks. But I want to talk about Thursday night and what to do with the receiving core on this team. Uh, only because if Devontae Adams is out, like how high does Lazard go? How high does Cobb go? Like what are we doing with these guys? Yeah, look, Lazard, we've done this before, and Lazard kind of gives me the feeling of one of those, not Travis Fulgham, but I just, it's the best explanation I can give because you know, as the Fulgham guy, because he's from ODU. So, you know, that's kind of one of those things when you cover, not cover, when you watch a team more than anybody else, you kind of, that's why we trust beat writers for some of these inside information. Told everybody, and I'm saying this to, I'm setting up the whole argument here. Because I was like, go grab Fulgham before everybody else. And I'm saying to like, ha ha, I told you. I'm saying that to say I also was one of the first people to say, get off of Travis Fulgham. Because once defense has treated him as the number one wide receiver, that's not a skill set. We've seen what Fulgham is. He's a wide receiver four or five in the NFL. It's a great story when we see a wide receiver do that. I don't think Lazard is of his level. I think Lazard is better than him. I'm just concerned that if there is no Devontae Adams, and you're stopping Lazard in the passing game. And I mean, your focus is obviously going to be Aaron Jones, but who are you going to stop at wide receiver? You're going to try and stop Lazard and you're going to say, beat us with Randall Cobb and whoever else might be the actives of the other wide receivers. So I think that Lazard would definitely have to be started in most leagues. Where do you, you have him at 32. I think that's a good spot for him. 
I'd probably still go Emmanuel Sanders, Marvin Jones, especially against Seattle. And I would put him in kind of like that Julio Jones, AJ Green conversation, which is still low in wide receiver three. But I wouldn't go crazy. I, I wouldn't put him inside the top 20. And I think some people would want to do that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I like him outside because I, I have the same hesitations that you have. I was actually just looking on prizepicks.com to go see where the receiving totals are going to be for these guys. And they're just like, you know what? We're not going to offer them. But I, I want to get your take on some of these because <laughs> uh, you need to play one from each side of the game. Uh, if you're, I mean, at least one from each side of the game, you can play up to five. Uh, again, prizepicks.com code MMN. Kyler Murray, 259.5 passing yards. Doesn't that seem like a crazy low number? It is for the way that he's playing right now. And you're kind of, <laughs> you're, you're kind of jumping into when you asked earlier, I said, I had a problem with one of your rankings. It, it is Kyler Murray. So we'll save it for when we get to the quarterbacks, but because he is essentially turning into a pass happier quarterback this year and deservedly. So, you know, you bring in AJ green to the mix, you add Rondell Moore, who is overrated for name value, but when it comes to fantasy, but for real life value, still having that as your fourth wide receiver with Christian Kirk and AJ green as the two, three, whichever it might be any given week, Deandre Hopkins. Hopkins, who's actually seen his target volume come down because they have so many options and they add Zach Ertz, which, you know, I agree with you still sell high on Zach Ertz because without that touchdown, you know, he still was only fourth. He was ahead of Rondell Moore, but he's still only fourth in opportunity. So all these weapons, Kyler Murray doesn't have a problem not running anymore because he's turned into a passer. I agree with you. I think that's extremely, extremely low number. I was also looking real quick is that PFF has Alan Lazard likely to line up the most with Alford and Murphy, which are the two top. It's a poor and a below average matchup. So that's the big thing, too, is it might be a Randall Cobb game. And my, I don't even want to say it because, you know, I don't like the player. Watch it be an Equinemia St. Brown game. Yeah, they're not getting MVS off IR yet, are they? Uh, he's eligible, but it doesn't sound if they, they didn't already start the window. Like, uh, who was the one that started? Somebody just started their window this week. Oh, uh, Michael Gallup didn't even start the window yet so i don't know it doesn't seem like it not with thursday okay interesting stuff yeah so zach moss versus miles gaskin the ceiling projection for zach moss is 29.2 where the ceiling projection (laughs) for miles gaskin is like 22.5 there you go that's exactly what we're talking about yeah so i mean the the, our analysis was right of the situation i'm just playing for the larger upside because i do think that they do go back to moss i just think that he's the better player over singletary this is such an easy matchup for them it should. I absolutely. It better be. 100%. It better be an easy matchup. <laughs> better, better you're a Bills be. fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, you would hope so. Full wide receiver rankings for the week. Again, you can find all of the rankings down in the description or up on DKNation.com. And plus, I'll have the updates in the newsletter if you subscribe to that Mayo Media Network. Sub to the YouTube channel as well. Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase up to number two. Do you have any idea how good some of my teams are doing? Because I have Jamar Chase everywhere. <laughs> it's great i know the feeling i only wish i had gotten more of them and unfortunately the places where i don't have them are like home leagues and stuff where I like the people read my stuff yeah <laughs> and so, bring my ra- and bring my rankings to the draft <laughs> cup chase tyreek debo aj brown justin jefferson mclaurin ridley cd lamb coming back from by deandre hopkins number 10 keenan allen back from by chris godwin and mike evans i have aj brown is out of these rankings right now uh, if he plays, obviously, I will put him back in. And I'll readjust them. Stefan Diggs, Mike Williams, Deontay Johnson, DJ Moore, Amari Cooper, Adam Thielen. Now, it, this is so much easier to do than last week when there were six good teams on by. <laughs> now, now we have DK Metcalf at number 21. Sterling Shepard, this is saying that Tony, Tony is the only giant that I don't have in 
in the receiving core right now. So no Tony, no Barkley uh, in that offense. So I have Sterling Shepard, number 21, Brennan Cooks, Jalen Waddell, Cortland Sutton with Judy back, Michael Pittman with T.Y. Hilton back, T. Higgins, Robert Woods, Devonta Smith, Jarvis Landry, Chase Claypool. I found like I was rolling really good until we got to Metcalf. I mean, outside of one play, he would have been a disaster last night. It would have been. I don't, you know, this is just what Gino does at quarterback. So I'm going to say I actually do have, I want to move somebody inside your top 10 what? down to 16, down to 16. Um, Justin Jefferson. Because Cal- Calvin Ridley. Really? He is without, look at, look at his per game. And I, I, again, for everybody out there, if you want to tweet me who said it, I, I love, cause I can't remember. I thought it was Ray Murphy. I thought it was Rudy Gamble. Somebody tweeted it out and I didn't see the tweet enough. Like I didn't see it fast enough cause I was in the middle of a podcast to be able to save it. And I should have, but he pointed out the fact that Calvin Ridley for his career is not great in producing fantasy after the catch. Well, just in producing bad for the catch, but for fantasy purposes, he's very air yard per target reliant. And what's the problem is, is because of how defenses are treating him now, as deservedly so, as the only option. Kyle Pitts is helping a little bit, but he's still not doing much after the catch as he's never done. But now his A dot and air yards are coming down. And because of that, he's very reliant on how deep Ryan is going to him and reliant on the touchdown. He's not getting seven for 110. Uh, he's not essentially. He's the inverse Keenan Allen. He's the low yards touchdown where Keenan Allen's like, okay, fine, I won't have a big A dot, but I'll still catch the ball seven times. Deontay Johnson is by far, I keep I said this all last year. Deontay Johnson would have been a top 10 wide receiver if you just take the games where he didn't exit early. And I know that's a lot to say, but it's it's true. Even that was with Juju Smith Schuster last year. I know it's against Cleveland, but I would go Deontay Johnson, Mike Williams, Stefan Diggs, Mike, both you have no Antonio Brown, so both Buccaneers before Calvin Ridley. Uh, and that's where I would stop and DJ Moore right in that same game with him because there's some concerns with how Darnold's playing. It might even be PJ Walker this week. No, they, they, said, really they, they, said, they said Darnold's going to play. Okay. I, I just, I meant like, does he finish the game again? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. okay. the, 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 point, the point being is I, I just, I don't think we can say Calvin Ridley, similar to Allen Robinson not even be startable anymore. I don't know that we could say Calvin Ridley is definitively a top 10 anymore. Okay, I'll move Ridley down. You sold me. Down to number 16 in the rankings, and that boosts everyone up back a spot. So that works out for me. Do you think we'll see Stephen Gilmore this week? Mm, if so. And that, uh, like, that, then that's it, bad. That, that is we bad. Think. It is definitely. it is Because de- that secondary is already good to begin with. Uh, but it could be even worse. But also, like, what is Stephen Gilmore right now? And <laughs> I just sighed because I'm about to do it again. But to go back to D'Angelo Williams, it was like, the conversation of like like when Le'Veon Bell came back that year and you everybody remembers that that first game Dalvin Cook when he came back from his injury there's a difference between being in game shape and a difference between being an actual NFL shape actually Mike Tomlin was one of the first person who said that to me and get a name dropping all over the place but it's these players can be in the best visible specimens you can see but there's a complete difference in being hit and being out there and running every single play so yes it is a concern yes you would knock you know, the concern level up, but is Gilmore out there for a hundred percent of his normal workload? Is that, that's all I'm pointing out. Or is he still good? That's a real question that we have. Yeah, to I mean, that's a question point. too. Yes. Yeah. We've seen, I mean, DBs maybe fall, we've seen DBs fall off, fall off a cliff much sooner than this. And when was the last time Gilmore, Gilmore played like two years ago? And I mean, if the team was really willing to give, well, I mean, for what they got in the trade and that might just tell you what they think of Gilmore at this point. Anyway, contract stuff aside. 
Potentially so. All right, so the guys in that 21 through, like, do you think Sterling Shepard at 21 is too high if Tony doesn't play? Because I feel like he's just going to get every catch there is if he plays. No, Sterling Shepard is definitely, and even if Tony plays, I wouldn't knock him down that far. Like, if Tony plays, I would knock him down. Would you play Tony or Shepard? Would you play Tony or Shepard? I'd still play Shepard. I think I'd I'd play Hunky Tony. No, because, well, here's the difference. I would play Tony over Shepard barely if Kenny Galladay was out. You have Kenny Galladay in, and that's why I would play Shepard over Tony. Yeah, we should probably not spend so much time on the Giants wide receiving court every single week. Just because it's useless. There's one guy that will be all right, and then it'll be like Hunky Tony telling Sterling Shepard to back off, all right? And then he'll have every target there is. He'll just bully Daniel Jones into throwing the ball to him. He might hit him. See, see, this is why I told you I still need to do your show. You help, you help boost the mood. You help. This is the stuff that we need. Uh, I, I do have one beef too. Also, it's down to thirty. Chase Claypool is way too low. Why do you think Chase like Juju being out does nothing for Claypool? Right? Yeah, it does. No, it, yeah, it does. It was one bad. Yes, it does. Because if you go back, I already had the same argument with somebody else because oh, I said go buy low. On, here's why. Like I said, go buy low on Claypool everywhere. He said the problem is Ben Roethlisberger is still the quarterback. I said okay, and Ben Roethlisberger was still the quarterback. The three previous games where he had a good game in all of them, and two of those were with that one was without Deontay, and one was out Juju Smith Schuster, and the other one was both. All three of them were out there three straight good games actually one really giant game without one of those guys on the field if he's one of the top two options that's just it's such a funneled offense through the two of them that yes you can call me crazy for whatever you want i would start claypool uh, and I, I even wish t higgins was higher in your rankings but i would play claypool claypool and higgins are in the same conversation for me i at this point i'd rather take the guy who's attached to joe burrow and the one who was seeing a ma- who oh, saw, sure who saw i just said the same conversation who saw a massive amount of air yards last week and just couldn't convert on them uh, i'd be you know listen t higgins it, that's a tricky game because there's a chance that the Bengals get up by too much and then it's just like Samaje P. Ryan and Auden Tate in the game because we've seen the Bengals' willingness to pull their starters so they don't get hurt at the end. We've seen it each of the past two weeks. With Claypool, here's my biggest issue. It's twofold for this week against the Browns in particular. One, the Browns' defense, especially in the secondary, pretty good. The pass right. rush for the Browns, exceptionally good. And what can't Pittsburgh do? They cannot block for poor Ben Roethlisberger. And it feels to me like if Claypool is going to have one of these big games, he's going to have to catch the ball down the field. And I just don't think he's going to have enough time to get those routes to develop. It's going to be Deontay Johnson and Pat Firemouth. And those are going to, and, and Najee's going to have like 38 catches. And like, it just, it's a tough matchup to me for Chase Claypool and what his skill set brings to the table. Okay. It's a fair argument. That's why I said the same conversation at T Higgins, who's only at 26. Uh, what I was going to bring in about T Higgins is you do have Judy in your rankings. For me, if I'm starting players, it would be Higgins, Claypool, Sutton. And I love Sutton. You know, I love Sutton. But just the hesitancy of Judy, or Judy being back. Doug, you didn't even get to say it. You haven't even said it yet. Doug, Judy's back. Um, it, it's not a big movement in your rankings. And so I, I don't even care if you leave your rankings where they are. It's just for me, you know, so it would go Pittman, Higgins, Claypool, Sutton. And you have Sutton, Pittman, Higgins, Claypool, and it's not that big of a gap. So, like, this isn't even one where it's like we have to sit here and argue about it forever. They're all starts to me. So they're all within the wide receiver three conversation. I actually do have primary concerns about Sutton and Pittman. More so with Pittman, weirdly enough. Because I think that week one with Doug Judy back, that he's, I don't know if he's going to get the full complement of snaps. I think that he's just going to kind of be out there working his way back into game shape. It'd be one thing if he had been dealing with the shoulder injury. But when you're dealing 
dealing with a foot and ankle injury, it's tough to keep up your cardio. It's tough to keep everything up like that because you physically can't walk for a really long time. So maybe he's there, and I'm misreading the situation, but when he's back to 100%, that might take away from Cortland Sutton. Or maybe it helps Cortland Sutton. We really don't know uh, with Teddy Bridgewater, who is also banged up, and seeing both these guys healthy at the same time, we really don't know what their correlation to one another is. It could be great for both of them because they're exceptionally hard to cover. The Pittman thing really worried me when Hilton came back two weeks ago. Like it didn't because I felt like T.Y. Hilton was absolute dust at that point. Then you watch the game. It's like, oh, Carson Wentz is just throwing T.Y. Hilton <laughs> and not Michael Pittman anymore. So as soon as Hilton was inactive for the Sunday night game, it's like, oh, fire up some Michael Pittman. This is great. But if Hilton is back this week... I worry, put it that way. Not enough to like really make a stance in my rankings to be like, oh man, Pittman's number 54 this week. I'd still rather play Pittman. I would trust Pittman at least for the week to see what happens. But I do have concerns. And yeah, I definitely echo your concerns on some of the other, when I'm talking about my podcast, the fact that they went to Hilton, not only the team, but as you mentioned, Carson Wentz for the fact he wasn't even out there the entire game, both they limited his opportunities because his first game back, but he also aggravated, you know, well, not actually aggravated because it was a different injury, but, you know, kind of got that little tweak and he was held out last week for it. So if he's out there, you're probably not going to see the full complement of snaps, but it's kind of the comparison I drew, Pat, is something I think you were the one that brought it up. And if not, so whatever, I'll take but credit. The fact it's like it's Rob Gronkowski. He doesn't see all the snaps. But when Rob Gronkowski is on the field, he's one of the primary targets. And yes. that's what it felt like. And that's where I agree with you with T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, uh, there's a running back who's like that as well. Now I can't wrap my mind around who it is. Damn it. It's not from this year. It was from like two years ago that he only played like 34 percent of the snaps. But every time he was on the field, he, he was the on ball. the field. Yeah. No, this is what happens Saquon when you Barkley. do this year after year. <laughs> Saquon Barkley, he only plays 8% of the team snaps per year, but he's always touching the ball. Uh, there's a big drop off here, basically at the Claypool. So the Claypool. So at number 30, there's Claypool. Then it's Alan Lazard at number 31. I, I do think he's the best option on the Packers if Adams is out. You might be completely right that this could be a Lamar Miller situation where he's just better as the not full-time guy that's just easier for him uh but the cardinals have a trash pass defense so you can throw on right. them, and i would trust aaron Rodgers to get that done so lazard manny yes. sanders marvin jones julio jones aj green at number 35 that's really been the reason why arizona's offense i think has been so good aj green has been awesome which is shocking to me Corey davis at number 36 jacoby meyer 37 christian kirk kenny galladay and jameson crowder whether it's uh, Magic Mike or whether it's Hello Joe Flacco, I gotta feel like it's good news for Jamison Crowder. It is, and I, you're, I thought you were gonna say what I, my feeling is about this. If it is Joe Flacco, I think I'd play Crowder over Julio Jones, not knowing if Julio Jones is even gonna play through the entire game. Uh, there was a report Brandon Funston told me about it. Well, told us about it. We were on the podcast yesterday. He mentioned it. It was the inside. Uh, inside the locker room report, I forget who said it, who covers it for the athlete. But anyway, point B, he said you would be disgusted as a fantasy manager if you saw how much treatment Julio Jones gets on a day-to-day basis inside the locker room for what he's dealing with. Uh, it just, it's absurd. It's like his body is completely broken down. And obviously when he's out there, he's look, he wanted to be on the field more. You saw him talking on the sidelines, but Julio Jones just it's kind of like T.Y. Hilton at this point what's the difference do we know Julio Jones is going to get 50 percent yeah you know he had the one play taken away could have been a much better week uh seven for him but at the same time yeah I I think I would go I would play him over Julio Jones if Flacco's at quarterback okay 
Number 41, Khalif Raymond for the Detroit Lions, who I played two weeks ago in my home keeper league because I was dealing with disastrous buy, not buy, with injury problems. And then I dropped him because actually my guys came back last week and then the guy I was playing had massive injury problems and he played Khalif <laughs> Raymond against me. He actually had another good game. He's not bad uh, if you just need like yeah. a, a stable of points. Tower Boyd at number 42. It just feels like he's the one who's been phased out of this offense. Yeah. He, he could definitely be the highest scoring Bengal, but... Chances are he's the lowest scoring Bengal, so he's got to be down here. <laughs> Lockett at 43 is just garbage at this point with Gino. Darius Slayton, Randall Cobb, T.Y. Hilton, Tim Patrick, Cole Beasley, Devontae Parker, uh, Odell Beckham at number 50, Jerry Judy at 51, former vice president under Richard Nixon, Spiru Agnew at number 52, Russell Russell Gage, Michael Hardman, Chenault, K.J. Osborne. Like now, now we're into the weeds with Flyers. Now you're now you're getting desperate at this point. Uh, I could see Gage as a little bit more of a desperation. That was his first game back, and he was already clearly the number two wide receiver, number three option. Uh, the Miko Harmon against the Giants. This is one going to the season. You know they have James Bradbury. They make the trade for or the signing of Dory Jackson. They made another trade, and it's like, oh my god, that secondary is worrisome. And I haven't referenced that before in the preseason. Said on paper, one of the best corner duos in the NFL. On paper, it hasn't turned out that way. Someone to Washington, it hasn't turned out that way. What uh, the Giants have been very vulnerable. Uh, and if you're looking for the big play, I'm just bringing up to say, like, if I'm looking in this range of more of the dart throws, Chenault would be a higher steal. And I would actually put Chenault higher in general, but Harmon would be the dart throw. Chenault sucks. I don't understand why the I internet d- likes him. No, because the talent, this is one of those situations. This is talent situation. The talent argument is, he is like, the new, hey, who is, he's like the new fucking James Coomer or Jake Coomer. No, 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 no. That's, who, who was he got he, the wrong who, one. Who was, it was the other I already did it. who was on uh, Green Bay. No, it wasn't on Green Bay. That's the, the comparison I already made. I already did this. I already took care of it for you, Pat. I said, who's going down in the fantasy hall of fame first, Kristen Michael or LaVisca Chenault? Jeff Janis is who I was thinking about. Yeah, Jeff Janis for that one game, the all the Hail Marys in the one game. But yeah, I, it's the Kristen Michael situation. But here's the difference. It's like Agnew and Chenault the past two games before their bye were very close in snaps, routes, targets, and everything like that. It's just that Agnew has been more of the focal point because it's why not Chenault, why Agnew? It's essentially, you know who they are. It's AJ Green and Christian Kirk, but the worst version because they're on the Jaguars and that value is not as high. But Trevor Lawrence is starting to play better. I still think Chenault has a higher ceiling uh, than Jitmal Agnew. Look, you, you can hate on him all you want, but uh, I mean, I'm not saying I would push him that much higher. I mean, honestly, Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham is just straight out droppable at this point. Drop out, drop Beckham, drop Robbie Anderson, drop Allen Robinson. I've been saying to do it for weeks, and if you're still holding oh, you on, know what? just you let know what? him go. I, I, I am waiting for the trade deadline before I get rid of Allen Robinson, because if he gets traded to another team, he's like a top 10 guy again. <laughs> That's fair. I'll give you that one. I'm not playing you, him, but I'm not. I, where, did, where did you even put him? Did you put him in worst place? Uh, he's not in worst place. He's at number 67. He's one spot behind Robbie Anderson. Target king, Robbie <laughs> Anderson. Also, unrealized air yards king, Robbie Anderson. Yeah, can't uh, catch so. Robbie Anderson. Well, it, and this is so somebody asked about this yesterday when I was tweeting. I was tweeting with Mike Clay and Dave Richard about the unrealized air yards. And somebody was like, so they're not that predictable. I said, no, no, no. It's a one piece of a giant puzzle. And it still comes down to the quarterback play. It's not every air yard is created equal. Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, while being hurt, were ranking inside the top 10 as of week five, with Elijah Moore barely being on the field. The quarterback is part of the equation, too. So unrealized air yards are great when you're talking about 
Terry McLaurin might go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick or who else was in Cortland Sutton was up there for a bunch of weeks. I kept saying buy low on Cortland Sutton. Those are opportunities. But when you're talking about the Jets and then Panthers and all this, that's where the quarterback says, you know what? It's not as important as it might look on paper. I would completely agree. And I think it's a great way to spend it's I think it's more influential for either betting or DraftKings purposes to find a cheap guy, even like an Elijah Moore, be like, oh, is this consistent that they're constantly taking deep shots down the field? Like it's almost the same thing with Rager and Quez Watkins. Like who has the higher A dot, who is seeing the unrealized air yards on this team? Because if they hit, they're gonna hit big. It's like Ruggs, for example. Like his unrealized air yards must be through the roof, although he's catching more of them this year. But just when he gets actually targeted, higher last year. Was it higher last he was, year? He- he was top eight, maybe even top five last year. And that was part of the thing is Derek Carr and him weren't on the same page. And he was playing outside primarily as the number one. So again, that's where last year you say, yes, you would hope it would click, but it's not. It's actually clicking this year. And his unrealized air yards have dropped because they're connecting more. What I would say is the reason that it's more valuable in something like DraftKings is you can get paid out when it hits and you can get paid out right. big if you're right. All it really happens in your season-long life is you might win your matchup that week. Chances are you're going to lose your matchup that week if you play that sort of guy on the bad team with the air yard. So like you said, it's right. it's a part of a puzzle and it can predict future booms in good spots, but it's not predictable by any means, like in terms of a yeah. consistent basis. It's a good it's a good window for looking for buy lows, but it's also doesn't mean every single player on that list is a buy low too. Uh, tight ends for week number. <laughs> oh, this is a tough one because Andrews and Waller are both on buy, and the island of Foster Moreau. So even if you had a backup hey, hey, coming re- in, remember at the preseason when people tried to play that this year, it's going to be better at tight end again. I know we've said it for four straight years, but I it's th- happening this year. I actually, I actually feel like it is better at tight end this year. Like there I are, just feel there, like the top group's a little bit bigger. Yeah, like there's like Kelsey's number one, Pitts is number two, uh, Gesicki's number three because Gesicki has been great since every game that Tua plays. Gesicki's been awesome. <laughs> Hawkinson number four, Goddard, Ricky Seals, Jones, Noah Fant, Dalton Schultz, nope. Ty- Tyler Higby, and Zach Ertz. You don't like Dalton Schultz? No, I don't like Noah Fant. Uh, Noah Fant. Oh come on, Noah because Fant. he's not. He, Noah Fant's fine. Completely overrated. No, completely overrated. And, and here's why: because you have Judy back in. If there was no Judy, I'd say fine, keep him there. But Noah Fant is one of the most roller coaster tight ends in all of football. He is exceptionally talented as a player, but it just comes down to he's already a roller coaster, and Judy's not even out there yet. So, if Judy's back. No, look, look, look at Noah Fant just last week. Noah Fant had another bad game because Noah Fant just isn't guaranteed guaranteed to see volume, whether Teddy's throwing 40 times or 20 times. Uh, he's very just, honestly, he's touchdown slash big game reliant. I know that sounds weird to say, but I think everybody understands what I'm trying to say. I would play Schultz over him, even though we might get my, Michael Gallup back. Uh, Hig, the problem is, is because of this week, you can't push him down that much further. Um, yeah, well, so, I mean, what you were just about to describe about Noah Fant, you can say the exact same thing about Tyler Higby. About Higby, you're right. So that's why I kind of almost hesitated right there. You know, if Andrews is in there, so at, going forward, if, if we don't have Waller, <laughs> Andrews, and everybody, those two being out, he's barely even top 10 for me. But I say that just because it was more for what I brought up in the waiver column is to sell high if people still see Noah Fant as like top five. Look at all the potential he has. I just think it's it's going to get even worse. Okay, so I'll, I'll move him that one spot. I'll move Dalton Schultz up to number seven, Noah Fant to number eight, Higby Ertz. 
I think Ertz is a touchdown threat in this game. Uh, and you're right. You should sell high on Ertz after what we saw. He's fourth in the pecking order, which is not bad on the Cardinals. There's worse teams to be the number four on, but that's just the way it's going to go. And there's going to be situations. Well, I guess Kirk and Rondell Moore kind of trade back between who's like number three. It's, it's not like one's number three and one's number four. It's one's number three and the other one isn't used is essentially how that uh, offense ends up going. I think Kirk trades a little bit more with AJ Green than he does with Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore has been nothing since week two. I would say AJ Green just very clearly the number two. No, then Kirk is for me. Kirk then is just clearly the number three. Rondell Moore was fifth last week. He's he's again he's been nothing since week two. Uh, I got CJ Secret of the Uzma at number <laughs> eleven. It just seems like another team he can beat up on. the The issue with him is like he is the classic. He's going to have zero points this week. Tight end, isn't he? <laughs> Oh, one, he's first or 30th. <laughs> yeah. There's no question about it. There's uh, no in between. I, I'm actually serious about Fryermuth, uh, that I think that he's going to have a pretty substantial role in this offense moving forward. He has taken Juju's spot of guy that just lingers near the line of scrimmage and catches passes. It's not going to be five for 161 and two touchdowns, but it's going to be a lot of like seven for 43, and hopefully he scores a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it really comes down to is you're going to get to another name that you haven't brought up yet. I, I don't disagree with that. There's just another name that I was going to bring up as a sidebar. Bob Tunyon? No, Hunter Henry. If no John o. Smith, I would play Hunter Henry in front of Zach Ertz. I put Hunter Henry at 10. If there, ah, I might even play him over t- Tyler Higby. If no John o. Do the John o situation, we're going to have to wait and see. But if there's no John o, Henry has kind of been the more consistent option. I, I got to throw this out here. I really think the Patriots are terrible. <laughs> What does that say about the Jets? Well, I mean, we know how terrible they are, but like the one, like you've mentioned earlier, the one thing you can really do against the Chargers is run all over them. We've seen that. And historically, they've been really good against tight ends. And so far this season, they've been shutting down wide receiver ones for the most, or tight end ones for the most part. Maybe that is a part of the field where they are vulnerable in between, over the middle, in between the hashes, up the seams. But I don't know. I just don't see a ton of upside from Hunter Henry here. Like he kind of has to score a touchdown or. Hey, I would. Ra- I'd rather take Patriots. my. Ch- I'd rather take my chances with Robert Tunyon with no Devonte Adams around as guy who scores a touchdown. No Devonte, I'm sure. Uh, Tunyon has been nothing until last week. It no. legitimately was catching one or two passes. Uh, I was just going to say, speaking of the Patriots, while we're doing this show, a report, as I was mentioned before, D'Angelo Williams knows what the hell he's talking about from Mike Reese that the Stevenson situation could be a week to week, whether he's inactive or active. Missed a blocking assignment in week six. The team is not happy with that. There you go. He knows what the hell he's talking about. Yeah, but even if you keep him, what use does he have? No, 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 no. I didn't say, I wasn't saying that. I was just saying that, like, if he's active, he might be the number two that week. I was, it, that was just the whole, the Bilicek not trusting Brandon Bolden thing. That's okay. not, that's not, that's not so much Stevenson. So, uh, Uzma, Fryermuth, Tunyon, Tarzan, Dan Arnold, Hunter Henry, Tower Conklin, OJ Howard, T.Y. Hilton coming back. Cole Komet, a little bit higher. Cole Komet sucks, man so bad no but he's the only one getting volume in that offense it is I mean, like even, the, but but his uh, his volume is like it's still tight end two type stuff and that's like his upside okay <laughs> i don't really have <laughs> like, he, like he, he had that. basically <laughs> the best game he could have last week what do you have like five for 40 yeah okay, i'm not disagreeing that much let's get to go to quarterbacks all right let's go to quarterbacks <laughs> you got a problem with kyler at number one yeah, it just goes back to what we said earlier. It's just he's not running. He doesn't want to run. I wasn't expect. I talked in the preseason. I think it was with Meany or somebody. I was like, I would smash the under in his rushing prop. 
I wasn't expecting it to be this bad. And it's not just the not averaging. He's averaging 2.9 yards per carry because he doesn't want to run and he's not running like he used to where it's in the middle of the field is taking these open seams because he doesn't need to anymore. No, but, because but, but, he can... but hold on, hold on. A lot of it has to do because I don't, I'm not super concerned about his lack of yardage. It's now he's not scoring the goal line touchdowns that he had been scoring for each of the past two years yeah, and then course. even at the beginning of, of the year. But a lot of that has to do with they're just playing really uncompetitive games right now. Like they're blowing everyone out. And when the game is on the line and the game is a little bit closer and they need to score, you're going to see Kyler run a little bit more. Maybe this isn't the week, but I do think well, and I'm not, Green again, Bay kind of keeps up with them. Maybe, but, and I'm not knocking them down this, that far, like this week, I would have them third, but I would also, I would honestly have a fourth. I know it's a bad matchup because of how good the Saints defense has been, especially since they got Lattimore back. But if you just told me, who do I trust? over Kyler Murray now at this point. I know Patrick Mahomes is coming off the seven-point game and Murray isn't, but there's three, actually four quarterbacks, one of them's on the bye. I would trust Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Tom Brady before Kyler Murray. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a discussion really for anyone. If you have Kyler Murray, you're playing him, I would think. So, yeah, Murray, Allen, Mahomes, Hurts, Brady. I think that's a pretty clear top five. Prescott, Herbert, Burrow, Stafford, Cousins, I would go... Uh, through 10, then into Wentz, who just, he's throwing the ball downfield again. Why not? Against Tennessee, let's go. Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, Trevi Lawrence, Danny Fums, The Goof, Mac Jones, Jameis Winston. Tua at 17. Tua at 17. I don't don't care that it's the Bills, that Tua is going to, Tua Tua didn't, no, Tua is going to continue to throw this game. This team has become pass happy and against the Bills in what should be a pass-happy game, as we just saw last week against the Falcons, which we didn't expect to be a pass-happy game for Miami. Even if he turns the ball over, he's turning to pass-happy Tua, and you have Parker back in the ranks. There's no way I'm playing Jared Goff over Tua at this point. I'm not. Oh, I'm, no, I'll just, play the Tua. No I'll, play, I'll take that bet this week. You got me last Is week. that another one? Yeah, you got, <laughs> it was last week or the week before. You had Burrow versus, I think it was Heineke. It was smart, smart decision yeah. on your part. But I'll take the goof. I'll take the goof over Tua this week. Okay. Stick by that one. Yeah, there's no, there's really no way I'd be playing Tua here. I think if the cutoff is actually Ryan Tannehill. I think the top 14 are all really pretty good starts. Then Lawrence and Daniel Jones kind of in the middle, like these upside downs. In their own group. Yeah, they're yeah. in their own little mini tier, and then it's everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree with you there. Yeah, Tua would start that mess of quarterbacks that I don't want to start. But, yeah, I don't really want to start any of those guys. I'm feeling good about our uh, defense moving forward here. So I got some good Ds for you this week. You ready for this? Because I, I cashed big sure. with the Giants last week. They were, they were the... Now that's dra- going to be your number one comment in your things of what you just said. People are going to clip that out and paraphrase that. What? You got some good Ds for me. I do. I do got that's some That's going to be. I, 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 I know your listeners. <laughs> and you know what I'm like. You know, you know I'm always dropping my innuendos. I got the Rams at number one, Bills at number two. Eagles at number three, I think, rate out really well against the Goof. So Goof throws interceptions goof fumbles the ball eagles return it for six and more goof down the field but bad offensive line versus a really good defensive line in terms of pass rush so i have the eagles rated very highly the 49ers against chicago rate out really well as do the bears against the 49ers who i have at number nine uh the cowboys and vikings it's tough to play the vikings uh only because the cowboys offensive line is so good but the pass rush for the vikings has been really good so overall rams bills eagles 49ers bengals against the jets bucks against new orleans the football team against denver the Browns. Browns against Pittsburgh, Bears, Cowboys. Then you can go Panthers, Steelers, Cards, Chargers, Broncos, Les Titans, 
Chiefs, Giants against Kansas City because all they do is turn the ball over. Wouldn't really bank on that one, though. Uh, but the, the defense has been a little bit better recently. I was stunned at how much pressure the Titans got against Kansas City last week. That blew my mind. I think it's a testament to it's not all Mahomes' fault and how terrible that offensive line has been this year is that, yes, Mahomes has been reckless and it's you get people talking about there the interception regression that, you know, there's interceptions he should have had that are they're just coming back. But it's also he is I mean, the fumble was because he had to take off running on a play that shouldn't have been some of the interceptions are because he's rolling out and he's trying to do Patrick Mahomes things, but it's because the offensive line is just doing nothing for him. Uh, so that's why at your Giants play of a sneaky one at 18 because they are getting, you just saw it last week, that the pressure they got on Sam Darnold all day long and then paid Joe Walker when he came in. I mean, you might get Patrick Mahomes throwing 350 and three touchdowns, but it might include an interception and a fumble or, you know, two turnovers or something like that and a couple sacks. Yeah, I think it's just easier to play the Bears. May, I may I should put the Vikings in this. Like, where's Dallas, Dallas's offensive line right out? I think it's completely healthy now, though. So that becomes a more difficult situation. Dallas's O-line already fifth best in pass blocking. So it's really tough to see them doing much of anything. Although, like I said, the, the Vikings D has been pretty good. So <sighs> that's a tough one. But the Bears against the 49ers. I don't think many people will play, but... I mean, I guess it really hinges on the health of Trent Williams on the 49ers offensive lineman. They, they couldn't block last weekend either. No, it's just Jimmy Garoppolo's also not playing well, period, anyway. So. Yeah. And I don't know if people will play the Browns against Pittsburgh. I feel like they, logically I they, they, would. Sh- they should. Uh, you know, a great D-line versus a bad O-line and Ben Roethlisberger, but I don't know. I, I don't know mm. what their ownership percentage is right now. There was, yeah. The, the week eight, they, weren't even, they didn't qualify as under 60% on Yahoo, so they weren't even a streaming option. I remember checking. They're not well, even there. Well, everyone's going to go stream the Bengals this week against the Jets. Like, that's, <laughs> the most, that's the most of logical course. play. That's why I have them at number five. But I do think that the Eagles possess higher upside in this game against the Lions. Yep. Yeah, that's where I'm at on defenses this week, anyway. <laughs> I'll let you get out of here, sir. Uh, Jake Seeley at AllInKid on Twitter, TheAthletic.com. Rankings come out tonight at midnight. 12.01 Eastern on Wednesdays. There you go. 2021 Bermuda Championship DraftKings picks and preview plus my wagers towards the end. If we can find someone to come in second place once again, then... We'll be riding high because that's how it's been going during the swing season for me. And not at the Zozo because the Zozo was a disaster. Fortunately, I didn't bet very much because I didn't really want to watch the Zozo in a no-cut event in Japan with no strokes gain stats. That's never a lot of fun. The Bermuda Championship also doesn't have strokes gain stats. Next week at the Mayakoba, also no strokes gain stats. So that's going to be a lot of fun. First thing you need to know about the Bermuda Championship, it's down to 130 players before you submit your DraftKings lineups. Ensure that everyone that you have selected in your lineups is actually going to be in the field. Because as we've seen so far with the Bermuda Championship, they can't get anyone to play in this tournament. It's tough to get to Bermuda. There's not flights going out. Flights were too heavy and guys had to get off, so they got stuck in Charlotte. It's a whole ordeal. I actually jumped on the Ringer podcast, Fairway Rolling, with Nathan Hubbard and Joe House this week to discuss the tournament, plus some stuff from the course of the year, the best shots, the biggest moments, that kind of thing. So go check out Fairway Rolling this week, too. And Kenny and Tambo had a full field breakdown with 
DraftKings tiers of pricing. This show is going to be a little bit different, so subscribe to the Fantasy Golf Degenerates podcast. Check out the video on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe to the channel, by the way. We're still in the push for 30K. We would like to get there sooner rather than later, and I do want to ask you to smash the like button for the episode, and in the comment section, please leave your favorite 6K golfer at the Bermuda Championship. Uh, You might never have heard of the person before, because there's a bunch of creative players in this field that it's kind of shocking that this is what we're going to This one is going to be a little bit different. It's just me on this episode, and I'm going to be doing my walkthrough on FantasyNational.com. You don't have Fantasy National yet? You should. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo will get you a discount, 20% discount off of everything. And let's just jump right into it. So let's go to the DraftKings pricing right now and see what we're dealing with. Uh, As you can see, it's a pretty weak field. Fitzmagic, Bezadenhout, Mito. Patrick Reed, Seamus Power, those are your guys above $10,000. When we go back and look at the tournament history of this course, you're going to notice two very distinct things. We'll go to 2021 and 2020 as that's how they're properly allocated. If we were to go through this and call it next year, it would be 2022, but this is the 2021 year, calendar year, so we're good to go. Essentially, what you're going to find at the top is older, short, accurate hitters who are really good with their wedges and really good at putting. Uh, I know that you know, really narrows the field down, but as you can see, like Brian Gay won. He was third the year before, the year that Brendan Todd won. Ari Eggs, everyone's favorite fake Brit, came in second that year. You know, Scheffler, but then you have like Lebiota, Coastal Track, Specialist, Aaron Wise, David Hearn, Fabian Gomez, Ryan Armour. Like, these are all guys that play well at the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit. If you're looking for comp courses for Bermuda, it's super short. It's like 6,700 yards, a par 71. You're dealing with... Sony Open, Heritage, Wyndham, Rocket Mortgage, like that type of weak field short course event. This is on, it's just called grass, I suppose, because it's in Bermuda, but it's on Bermuda grass if that's what you're looking for. Kramer Hickok and Denny McCarthy have had some success here. Russell Knox has had a little bit of success here. Russell Knox is going to be very popular this week. I've seen him touted a bunch. I mean, I understand what we're dealing with here. You know, accurate driver boom check mark for him because you want to be an accurate driver i suppose good with your wedges he's good with his wedges can he make some putts i mean occasionally he can make some putts i suppose but the and it's going to be gusty i mean that is the primary defense of this course is that the wind has to pick up or everyone is absolutely screwed and people are going to go super low but russell knox doesn't have a top five finish since 2017 like that that's a rough rough scene for old russell knox in this circumstance like you can just go back and look not that that would disqualify him of playing well at this tournament i mean brian gay did absolutely nothing before winning this and this is where the todd father started kicking it back around and rejuvenated his career he had been awful coming into this for like the past three years so i wouldn't say that like recent form disqualifies anyone but it's been a been a trek for russell knox he has some cuts made but he never really puts well enough the around the green game is tough are you going to hit every green regulation i suppose not at this tournament so it does seem like where he is shaping up to be very popular this week that i probably end up going with a pass but my point was when you look at it you have the accuracy wedge putting type players not long off the tee whatsoever so that's going to be the lean for a lot of people myself included because you see a lot of these guys inside the top 10 at least from two years ago even from last year you see a very similar type of player but then you have like Wyndham Clark and Ollie Schneiderjans who are just going to try to absolutely gouge the course it's not that the longer players can't win here it's just you don't see a ton of long players in this field I guess would be the issue so when I go and I actually set one up a stat model this week 
uh, to try to find some guys. Okay, I didn't even apply all the weight. I only applied 85% of the weight because I couldn't figure out really what I wanted to do. Essentially, like I said, wedge range and in close. There's a lot of really short holes on this course. Although there, there are three long par three so 200 to 225 yard par three i waited at 10 percent. you have 75 to 100 100 to 125 125 to 150 waited at 5 15 and 15 percent fairways gained at 20 percent. when i spoke with joe house he said he had played this course before and that being in the fairway and being in the rough really isn't that big of a difference but it does seem to lean towards the more accurate players doing really well at this course there's a bunch of short par fours so 300 50 to 400 yard par fours coming in at 10%. And I waited putting at 10%. Let's load that in and see what is happening. I bet you it spits out. Well, one of the guys that I bet this week, I know that it spits out because I ran the model before uh, in full disclosure. But Bezadenhout on paper, like when we think about this, is the player that I immediately comes to mind for me. So let's see how he rates out. Yeah, over the past 50 rounds, he's number three. Matthew Fitzpatrick coming off a win over in Spain at a very difficult course. Uh, rates number 29th, but obviously a lot of his best work is done on the European tour. Mito is number nine. Then you got like Reed at 34, Seamus Power at 16. And really what I want to be seeing here in the green area is just guys that are really good, basically from 100 to 125. You can be good from that range. You can do a ton of scoring Chad Ramey, look at that, only 16 weighted rounds. The putting hasn't really been there. Bezaden had the best putter. We know that can flip week to week, but generally, he's been very good overall. Adam Hadwin's another one who the wedges aren't really there, but the long, the fairways are there, the long par, the short par fours are there, and the putting has been there. Uh, and the one thing I just find odd about Adam Hadwin when we look at it, is just he's priced over these players who I just feel like are, I mean, better form is probably a, a stretch, but... Like, Danny Willett just won the BMW PGA Championship over in England. He's a Masters champion. He's behind Adam Hadwin by $100, especially if it is in windy conditions. I don't love Danny Willett this week, but I just thought that was pretty intriguing. Guido has been kind of tearing it up on the world stage over the past year. He's $8,700. Those are all pretty good prices. Ryan Armour rates out number two uh, on this course, and he's had success here before, too. So let's make some picks for DraftKings. Uh, when we're at the very top, I do like Bezadenhout. I'm going to try to do the Rick run good cascade method here. I bet Patrick Reed at 22 to 1. I can't get away from that number. It's Patrick Reed in what is essentially like a tier 2 corn fairy event. Come on now. Uh, I don't know if I want to play him a ton on DraftKings because the downside is so low that he might blow up some 6 of 6s for me. But in the outright betting market, it's Patrick Reed 22 to 1 in a minor league event like we, we bet him 30 to one in majors. What, what are we doing here? You, you might be wasting your money on Patrick Reed because he is absolutely not right. Or he's by far the best player in this field and smokes everyone. And it's not like he doesn't have wins at some of the courses that I was talking about. He's won at the Wyndham Championship before. Uh, the Amex is probably another one that you can look at. He's won that tournament before. The sneaky one to probably go to outside of Rocket Mortgage is also probably Travelers, just be based on length of the course. So that is another one that we can look at. I want to go back to tournament history just for one second. We'll sort by strokes gain total. And let's see, Brian Gay, first and third. Ryan Armour, eighth and eighth. Libiota, 16th and third. David Hearn, Kenejan, eighth and eighth. Then you have McCarthy, two top 15s. Kramer Hickok, two 15s. And full disclosure, I bet Kramer Hickok this week at 80 to one with the top five each way. Russell Knox, he's also up there, 16th and an 11th for him. So you have some guys that have just performed well year over year. I guess the one other thing that we could look at uh, a little bit after, I'll jot this down, is Bermuda grass putting and to see if anyone 
one really hops off the page to me. So it's going to be Bezadenhout for me. The issue is if you're going to pay up at the top this week on DraftKings, like you have absolute jabronis down in the $6,000 area. Maybe you can find someone you really like, like Sam Scott Brown tends to play well in these events. You can see the Chase Seifert. Um, you know, he's very good at these short par threes or short, short par fours. Sorry. He's very good from a hundred and in, I don't know if you really want to be going to him in this spot, but when we sort by the rankings, maybe we just let fantasy national do the work on everything that I've kind of pointed out here. Let's see what Ben, Ben Crane rates sixth in the modeling. I don't know when these rounds are from, but he's at $6,400. He would fit ideally with the type of player that has won this event before. He's really in the Brian Gay zone when it comes down to the type of player that he is. Let's see. Yeah, he was 18th in Bermuda last time that they played here. Of course he was. Uh, eighth in Puerto Rico. So he's doing okay. 33rd at Corrales in the Caribbean swing. I guess the Bermuda is in the Caribbean. I feel like it's more in the Atlantic, just off the coast of South Carolina. Anyway, it's, it's the only one that's in the t- same time zone that I actually live in, but we haven't seen Ben Crane since the 3M Open. Now, some of these guys have played the Corn Ferry playoffs. They've been playing over in Europe, but it's curious to see that he hasn't had any status whatsoever for any of the events. Chris Stroud is another one who I, I always get him confused with Brian Stewart anyway. Let's see how Chris Stroud has been doing. Not great. Probably sets him up perfectly to win here. RBC Heritage, 28th. That was in 2020. Oh, boy. Has not been a good go. We haven't seen a whole lot of Chris Stroud. He played the Fort, the 40-net championship, and that was his first one since Sanderson Farms the year before that on the PGA Tour. That's uh, not a great look for old Chris Stroud. So swing back up to the top. Bezadenhout's going to be my guy. I think Hadwin's going to end up being very popular. We'll check in on the ownership percentages here in a second. There's probably not a ton to draw from, honestly, uh, mainly because it's so early in the week. I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning. I'll have my entire betting cheat sheet in the Mayo Media newsletter, if that's something that you do want to go subscribe to right now. And I'm just going to try to play the numbers as good as possible here. It looks like Seamus Power sets up really well. I could see getting behind that. Where are we going to go here? Chad Ramey. Man. Captain Ramius, really good from inside here. Let's see what these 16 rounds are from. So the Shriner, Sanderson's Farms, and the 40 net from this year. He has been really good from this like specific wedge range. He tends to hit a bunch of fairways. Not great on these short ones, not great. I guess the putting kind of goes either really good or really poorly round by round. But I can see why he's rated up there. So maybe we'll put him on the short list. Pendrith uh, just got married over the weekend. I found this out based on my Facebook feed as someone I knew was at his wedding, as it turned out. Didn't hear it report. But I, I'm reporting it right now. He got married like two weeks ago. So I guess this is his first tournament. Maybe he's using Bermuda as a honeymoon too. Like good enough to fade for me. He's not the type of player that I want. Matthias Schwab is the type of player that I want. I just do not trust Matthias Schwab to make enough putts to win a tournament. So I think where I'm actually going to go, uh, I'm going to keep riding T Gala. I mean, Dietrich's right there. That's, oh, that, that's very intriguing to me. Uh, only because he's such a good player in a field like this. You think that class could really overcome, but I'll go with T Gala and Guido at 88 and $8,700. bombs, not necessarily the type of player that I want. David Lipsky is though. Look at these wedges. I don't know if he can make the putts required, but at $8,000, a pivot right off of Bramlett and 
Ryan Armour is probably pretty nice for Lipsky, who overall is probably a, I mean, he's, I don't know if he's a better player than Bramlett, but he's probably a better player than Ryan Armour at this point. Although Ryan Armour has the two top tens at this course in the past, and that would be sort of the intriguing part for me with them. See, Russell Knox, yeah, the wedge range absolutely kills it. You can see why he's going to be popular. That's just going to be a full-on fade for me, uh, just based on popularity. I have him and Hadwin as two of the most popular players this week. So in a field like this with such weirdness going on that I'll probably take a pass on that. Austin Eckerat, a guy that I never really go to. I mean, look at these wedge ranges. That is just amazing. Let's fire him up at $7,500. Libiota, too. How has Libiota been doing? How's Dylan Fratelli been doing? Another really good player with his wedges. Let's see, Libiota, ever since his really hot run with the putter, has missed four consecutive cuts. Okay, perfect lead in form for the Bermuda. And Fratelli missed at Shriners, missed at the 40 net, and was 39th at Sanderson Farms. The issue is when we start looking at the recent form for a lot of these guys, it's not going to be good at all because most of these guys aren't that good. And that's a real issue. And maybe you want to like lean with your gut on some of these. Like, I'm going to play Graham McDowell. Graham McDowell loves coastal courses. That's his jam. It's like Aaron Wise. I don't know where he's at in his career. They could be pretty good, but you know, he made his last two cuts over on the European tour. That's about as good enough for me as we're going to find. If Duffner could putt, watch out, because this would be a perfect tournament for him. I think I'm going to go with Duffner anyway at $7,200. Let's see how he's been doing so far in the new season. Off the tee, been good. Now nah, the approaches haven't been as good, but in close as we've seen, been pretty good. He's only played once, came 42nd. You know, he tends to be a cut maker. He puts himself, he gives himself enough birdie opportunities that it's not going to be the craziest thing in the world, even when he starts missing his two-foot putts. He'll, he'll just have enough opportunities, hopefully, that he can sneak himself through the weekend. I love Brian Stewart this week, although he has not played well at this course in the two years. He does seem like the perfect fit. He's going to hit every fairway. He's great from in close with his wedges, and he makes a ton of putts. I bet him at 80-1. to 1. He's probably my favorite bet this week, although he's probably going to come in dead last now. But come on, Brian Stewart on Bermuda grass on a short course. That's like the only time that you can play Brian Stewart and he's only $7,100. I don't care how popular he ends up getting. That's where I'm going to go. Svensson actually rates out pretty well here. Let's see how he's been doing since his return. I mean, the proximity was not good at Shriners. He was just bad at Shriners. The Fortinet, eh, okay, maybe we pass on old Adam Svensson. It looks like a lot of old data from him. That's always important to go check your round-by-round -round data, too. Uh, Brian Gay, not currently in Bermuda as we're recording this. He's stuck in Charlotte, so you have to make sure that he actually gets there uh, at the same time before we do anything. I'm, I bet, and I'm playing Kramer Hickok. Uh, that's more of a course history, pure putter type of play. The putting hasn't been really good recently, uh, but he did spike that playoff at Travelers. He's played well at this course in the past. So that seems you, know, you have to make really marginal choices when it comes down to it this week. Another guy I really like is actually Camillo Vijegas. To answer the question in the comment section, I like Vijegas a lot this week. So much that I've already bet Camillo Vijegas this week at 100 to 1. Uh, I like him on Bermuda. I like him on windy tracks. I like him on short tracks. This is all kind of sets up really well for him. Hopefully his game can come through enough that we can get it. Oh, Ludwig Adberg. I don't know who that is. He's got to be from Austria, right? If his name is Ludwig. Let's see. Oh, he's Swedish. Swedish amateur. Okay. He won two events in the professional 2020 Nordic Golf League and the 2001 Amateur Tournament Jones Cup Invitational and is the number one European amateur right now in April, as of April 2021. All right. Ludwig Adberg. Here we go. 
Probably not going to play him. Rather play Camillo Villegas. Oh, Patrick Flava Flavin's in the field. Uh, Barjan withdrew. So there's, like I said, there's a bunch of guys who are still listed in the DraftKings system and on Fantasy National until we do a full update once the field becomes finalized that you might want to be a little bit wary of. Oh, Von Taylor rates out really well too. Okay, let's play Von Taylor at 6,800 bucks. Maybe we can fit in two high-end guys. You know, like I said, Barjan is out. Kitayama, I know, I'll probably take a pass on Kitayama. Who else? Let's just go and make sure that we're not missing anyone down here. Svensson, like I said, rates out well, but that, those are really old numbers. I've sorted these by past 50 rounds overall. Anyone else leap out here? Lingmurth, those are probably really old rounds. Olin Brown, good God. I, I'm pretty How old is Olin Brown? I'm going to guess that he's 56 years old. He may or may not even be playing at this point. He's 62. Okay, Olin Brown, there we go. Okay, Olin Brown came T5 at a seniors event on May 2nd when he lost to Mike Weir and John Daly at an event. Okay, Olin Brown. Let's let's have it. Who else from down here? So where are his rounds actually being drawn from? Back like when he played to 2020, Charles Schwab, he played, missed the cut, played the 2018 Barbasol, 2014, uh, 2009 is still included in his past 50 rounds. And his past 50 rounds goes all the way back to 2006. So yeah, we probably don't need to pay much attention to Olin Brown. Let's sort this now by past 24 rounds to see if it gives us anything a little bit different uh, to see if we can find someone who's maybe heated, who's been better with their wedges recently or who hasn't. Although I don't plan on playing 150 lineups. Hell, I don't even play in, feel like playing 20 lineups this week. So we'll see how that ends up going. We just sort by rank. Mito, man, Mito's up there, isn't he? Oh, that's going to be a tough one. Oh, Mark Hubbard. When I spoke to Nathan, he he wasn't like big enough, big up in his brother all that much. So this actually seems like a pretty good event for him. Let's see, John Deere, he's made six cuts in a row on the PGA Tour. Did not play well at Rocket Mortgage. Yeah, I think we probably have to add Mark Hubbard. I'm seventy nine hundred is not a great price, but uh, like as a pivot off of Ryan Armour, who continues to rate out well no matter what we do, and so does Russell Knox. But how boner jams at sixty one hundred bucks? Good for him. Glad to see him back. Yeah, might have to go with Mito. I think a lot of people will go, actually, let's just check in on the ownership right now. Now that we have at least six guys starred in it. Let's see. Matthew Fitzpatrick, 33%. Wow. And Mito is only coming in at 16 right now. Again, these are very rough estimates of what's going on. As you can see, Bezadenhout um, is actually his calculated ownership. And Mito's calculated ownership is higher than Fitzpatrick. Although for the people that have generated lineup so far, that's only 867 people as I record this. It does appear like Bezadenhout and Mito are being not being spat out in that same sort of deal all right so here's a way here's this is probably better to look at more contrarian plays this week because uh, I, th- I think that the you probably give or take 10 percent on some of these ownerships at this time of the week but the really really low ones are likely to continue to be really really low matthias schwab three percent i mean maybe i'll i will end up playing him because accuracy wedges pray he can make some putts that's likely the way to go like hadwin at 19 percent versus willett even pendrith at three percent i don't love pendrith here i just don't think that he hits his irons well enough at an elevated price i think when you can get him at a cheap price he can do enough scoring to really come through for you but i don't love this one detry at 2.3 percent let's look up some thomas detry to see how he's been doing in the world stage lately official world golf rankings thomas detry 
He is the 83rd best player in the world outside of the Dutch Open, where he came T4. It's been a really rough go for him. All right, so I can see why lots are fading him right now. Although if you did want to just go with, hey, who's a really good player and get behind that? Dietrich is there. I mean, T Gala, who I do have started, is going to be very highly owned as it appears. I guess Mark Hubbard is going to be very highly. I'm going to unstar Mark Hubbard. Go with David Lipsky. Yeah, he is most definitely the pivot play here. Everyone's on Armour. Everyone's on Hubbard. Everyone's on Nick Hardy. Everyone's on Russell Knox. Everyone's on Hank Lebiota. Everyone else kind of in between is going to have super low ownership, like Nick Watney. Zero percent. I don't even know if he's there or not. What about Uline? Uline's interesting to me. If this course plays a little bit tough, uh, I mean, I have no recollection of how he is playing and how he isn't playing because, again, we're dealing with a Bermuda championship. Putts really well on Bermuda. That's um, that's a plus. Uh, the Fortnite lost on his approaches. Okay. Let's see what else Peter Uline is doing. I uh, played pretty well through the Corn Ferry playoffs. Nothing crazy. T2 in Utah before that. T6 on the Corn Ferry Tour. All right, not the craziest thing in the world, but I don't know if I'm going to get to him or not. Who are the chalk guys down low? Cameron Percy, Bo Hogue, Bo Hostler. There's Stewart and David Hearn. They're in the lower end of this, though. Uh, I would expect Stewart's ownership to probably get up a lot. Oh, Von Taylor, 24% in lineups right now. 11% calculated ownership. You might be a pretty decent fade then if that ends up being the case. Who was the other guy? I liked Vijegas was the other one who was right there. All right, I think that uh, we're pretty good here. I got to pick someone else at the top, I think, because if I try to generate some lineups, it's not going to give me exactly what I want to do. I'm good with fading Matthew Fitzpatrick. I'm good with fading Patrick Reed. So I think it comes down to like Mito, Seamus, Matias Schwab. What was Captain Ramius? What was he up to? Ramey, 10%. That's so weird how people decide to go with this stuff. Uh, being like, being contrarian this week is probably a good play, but not absolutely everywhere, as we have seen similar players do well at this course over the years. And sometimes for the bigger type players in these like Caribbean or island events, you know, they just want to party a little bit and they, they don't really care all that much uh, we've seen that with pat perez we've seen that with henrik stenson over the years where even if they make the cut they're like nah i'm gonna get out of here don't worry about it oh this is this, this will get you into the masters if you win because this is usually across from wgc china but they don't have that event anymore surprised Andy mccarthy isn't even higher owned than 15 percent. i would i would expected him to be pretty good what about yagabombs 0.6 percent how's he been doing missed it shriners Sanderson, Fortnite, man, the guy puts the lights out, doesn't he? Then Nationwide, Boise, and Pinnacle, fourth, fourth, second. Let's go take a look, a easier look at that in order. I may end up going to Steven Yeager. If literally no one wants to play him, I mean, could you do worse? Yeah, you could do worse, I think. Yeah, through the Corn Ferry playoffs, fourth, fourth, second. 26 at Sanderson, which would be a, a pretty decent comp for this one. If he's going to put the lights out, he's probably live. Let's chuck him in the player pool, too. Let's go. Yagabombs, you're on the team. And he continues to be a pretty good pivot from the Hubbards of the world, the Armors of the world, the Bramlets of the world. I wish I could go back to Higo, but he looks broken at the moment. He was terrible at the Zozo. A lot of guys were terrible at the Zozo, but it's been a while. Basically, since he won in Palmetto and went through his double win in the Canary Islands, uh, it's been all downhill for him. Uh, hopefully, he can recapture his game, because I really like Garrett Higo. You know, he's only 21 or 22 years old, so uh, I think that he'll get his game back. It's just not currently there at the moment. All right, how many players do I have started? 12? Yeah, I could probably play 10 
10 to 15 lineups with 12 guys after i add in either i'll select mito for the moment actually no i'll select schwab for the moment as a contrarian play but pizaden hout is going to be my big building block for the week i don't like his betting odds he's only in at 12 to 1 i suppose i should go through the bets for the week as we go through this i bet patrick reed at 22 to 1 I dislike that a lot. Oh, you know who I didn't end up going with? Let's go back to DraftKings just for one second uh, because I totally forgot him. Ted Potter Jr. I'm playing at 6100 bucks. Boom. Easy game. Uh, he has been god-awful coming in. This is the perfect type of TPJ event. TPJ, I right, have three missed cuts in a row. Woo! Just heating up at the right time. He's 350 to one. That's actually probably the better play. I'm not going to use a ton of Ted Potter Jr., but at a score fest with wedges, like... He's won PGA events in the past, so that's what he can see over a lot of people. So the bets, and I will have the cheat sheet in the newsletter out on Tuesday evening. You can also find the link to the spread show in there as well. But it's going to be Patrick Reed, 22 to 1 for the bets. Then I'm going Brian Stewart, 80 to 1 with the top five each way. Camillo Vijegas, 100 to 1 with the top five each way. Kramer Hickok, 80 to 1 with the top five each way. Ted Potter Jr., 350 to 1 with the top five each way. I believe those are all the ones that I have in. I also bet Ted Potter first round leader as well. I'm just going to go check out what I've done here so far. I'm going to log in to see what my bets are. I made them all on like Monday night as I was doing prep for this and just to make sure I didn't leave anyone off the card. But once again, you can find everyone up there. Ted Potter Jr. Yeah, Brian Stewart, Ted Potter Jr., Camillo Vijegas, Kramer Hickok, and Patrick Reed. Feel like that's, that seems like enough to invest in this tournament, although I can be talked into someone else. Guido's odds are like pretty spicy. I think Guido's like 50 to one. I might have to get on that just so I don't get a case of FOMO as we go through it. Where's he at now? Now I don't even see him on the list. Oh, 55 to one for Guido. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah, Guido, let's go. Guido, let's go. See how that goes. 55 to one top five each way along with him as well. So I think that's probably going to end up being the six-pack. Maybe we need to bring back the six-pack for this year. Those are going to be the six. We got a favorite from the top, someone in the mid-range, and then just a bunch of bombs down the list. Stewart's probably going to be like my pick, though. Like when I write it up in Golf Digest, I would anticipate Brian Stewart being one of the top-end guys, although he has failed to make the cut here, I believe, the past two years. Let me just go look up Brian Stumanji for a second. Where's that tournament history? Type in Stewart. Yeah, he was T51, and then he was cut a year ago. So hopefully you can come through for me at the Bermuda Championship. Thank you for watching. Once again, Kenny and Tambo on the Fantasy Golf Degenerates have a full field breakdown. If you want some alternate views on the Bermuda Championship, I'm on Fairway Rolling this week on the Ringer Podcast Network. And remember to subscribe to the Mayo Media Network, both on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you're an audio listener, or on YouTube to help us push to 30,000 subs. Smash on your way out and subscribe to Fantasy National dot com slash mayo to get yourself 20% off good luck this week at the butterbean bermuda championship i'll see you next this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.